0: Welcome to the Spinning Our Gears podcast. As a reminder, the issues, views, and opinions discussed on this podcast are those of the host and their guest. They don't reflect that of any department, agency, city, municipality, state, or country. All characters and individuals discussed on the podcast should be considered fictional for entertainment value. Now that we got the Blue Falcon disclaimer out of the way, hey, head over to all the major social media platforms as well as the major podcasting platforms for this show. And don't forget about www.spinningourgears.com. It's the best way to contact us, the best way to learn a little bit more about us. All right. Now, without all the rambling, without all the disclaimers, here are your co-hosts, Turk, Swagger, Erica, and Kenny. And this is the Spinning Our Gears podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Spinning Our Gears podcast. I'm Turk. If you're watching the video, you see I got Erica there with me, and it's going to be just her and I today. We got a pretty good topic to talk about today. I think it's going to hit home for a lot of people. And for those of you that it doesn't hit home for, I think it's going to open some of your eyes as well. So, Erica, how you doing?
1: i doing good, brother. I'm clean. I'm sober. I'm, I'm living living the good life.
0: How are things going with uh, the new practice?
1: Fantastic. Um, I, uh, just got my profile put up on the main page of that practice. So I'm pretty excited about that. And my caseload is climbing quickly. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of us out there that need help. And, uh, I'm glad that I finally got all the pieces of paper and licenses and all that crap that, that allows me to be able to step in and, and be that help for the brothers and sisters that are still struggling with this stuff.
0: I gotta tell you, I don't know how you do it with all the emotion and the scheduling and just the trials and tribulations that come with that. For me, Go it's ahead. been crazy. Like yeah. I get up in the morning and I hit my desk at eight o'clock and the next thing I know it's four or five. I can't imagine what it's like for you <laughs> dealing with the different personalities and everything every day.
1: Um, keeps me on my toes. <laughs> it, you know, I, If I'm perfectly honest, I mean, I basically what I did was I switched from one career uh, where um, clearly I had front row seats to the, the greatest show on earth and um, I may not have front row seats anymore, but I'm, I'm definitely in the second row. And so being able to, to provide that support for those of us that are still out there doing this job and, and you know, overcoming these, these struggles that these career paths tend to bring us, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. They're worth it.
0: Compared to uh, when you were in law enforcement, is it as fly by the seat of your pants or is it a little more structured now?
1: Um, It's a lot more structured, actually. Um, When I first started, and I'll I'll give you a little bit of my backstory, just kind of help everyone understand, you know, why I have a voice in this. Um, I was a police officer um, in the Colleen Fort Hood area in Central Texas for 15 years. And I I had lost control of my drinking. In fact, I was promoted to sergeant. I was an active alcoholic. No one had a clue because we're really good at hiding that shit. And I was no exception to that. And um, but eventually I had to have that conversation with myself that said, this has gotten out of control because I I can't seem to put it down. Um, And so it was the first thing that I was doing, you know, when I got home and on the weekends, you weren't going to catch me sober. I was going to stay lit and I would do what I call drunk math. How many hours of sleep can I get to sober enough to show up for my job the next day? So sitting in my office and I'm going to date myself here a little bit. I had a phone book, yellow pages, (laughs) and I very distinctly remember looking up. You can't make this shit up. First, I looked up Alcoholics Anonymous. But then, what I started doing was I started looking for anything—Alcoholics Anonymous for cops. I remember getting on my computer and trying to find stuff online, and I just couldn't find anything. Um, but my lie that I had been telling myself for so many years and my loved ones, which was I can handle this—I've got—I've got a handle on this—I couldn't—I couldn't maintain the lie anymore, and uh, so. I ended up going to my very first AA meeting in the next city over from where I was a cob. And once again, I've got memory like an elephant. I can remember sitting in the room and just scanning, just waiting. I'm going to see a face, some dude that I hemmed up six weeks ago or six months ago or six years ago. Somebody is going to recognize me. But when I look back at that, I realize the incredible amount of courage. I have to give myself credit for that. So it took an incredible amount of courage—one to admit to myself, uh, "I've got a problem here," and then for me to go to an AA meeting in the city over from where I was a popo. That took some balls. Yeah. And so I'm really proud of my—I'm proud of my past self for for taking that step. Now, I was the only cop at that meeting at the time. Um, and I, I did continue to go. I never really worked the steps. I hated the idea of having a sponsor. In fact, I used to call them babysitters. I don't need a fucking babysitter. Um, my ego was still running rampant even though I was completely falling apart. Um, I, was a, I was a shit heap on the inside. And uh, so I was in the program, if you wanna call it that, for really about 13 and a half years. And when I say in the program, this is what I mean. I would show up when I was miserable. There were times that I went to that meeting drunk. More often than not, I had a bottle in my car and can actually remember getting pissed at the guy that shared more than four or five minutes because he might make our meeting run over and I really needed to get back to my medicine that was in my car. So my, my alcoholism had gotten that bad. And um, 13 and a half years later, in and out of treatment, I did inpatient treatment a total of four times. The last place that I was in happened to be um, my my higher powers got a great uh, sense of humor. My uh, the the lady that owned the last place that I was in, impatient, was a three time convicted felon who had found God and AA, and so was now running a homeless uh, women's shelter um, that was twelve step based. And I had no place to go. Uh, we could go into the whole backstory, but things got bad enough for me that it, that I eventually ended up homeless. So. I didn't have any other really other places to go, and this, this beautiful soul took me in, and I was there for about six months. Here's what I got out of it. I learned about AA. I learned that these were tools that I could use, not just for alcohol, but to help me with other areas in my life that I had been struggling. And so I got my first sponsor shortly after I left that last place. Here's the other fun part of my story. My sponsor is also a three-time convicted felon can't make this shit up. And they are two of the most amazing people in the world. They got their lives together. They pulled themselves out of the depths of of addiction and crime and all the shit that went with that. And their program of recovery taught them to reach out to all people in need. And so that was the first time I experienced what I call the love of AA. It's the first time I experienced fellowship. It's the first time I began to realize that even though there was still that part of my mind that thought I'm a cop, you guys couldn't possibly understand everything that I've been through, but I still started to develop this this sense of uh, community that I had really missed after leaving the police department. You know, those, those weren't just officers. They weren't just coworkers. These were my family members. This was This was my community. And so when I was no longer in law enforcement, I lost all of that. And 12-step programming allowed me to get that back. Um, These people, because they actually talk a lot like cops, had no problem saying, Erica, pull your head out of your fucking ass because if you don't put your ego down, it's gonna fucking kill you. And I listened, thank God, I finally listened. And so I started really diving in, um, reading the big book, working with my sponsor, working the steps and that's led to where I'm at today, which is I I don't just work the steps, I live the steps. I've had the same sponsor, uh, the same guy. Um, my sobriety date is March the 10th of 2013, so I'm coming up on 11 years, and he has been my sponsor throughout this entire thing. Um, and I'm still in contact with uh, Miss Mary, the lady that ran the shelter. In fact, I went back and I did some volunteer work over there. Um, but... When I first started, no one in law enforcement or anyone in the first responder community firefighters, not any of them were talking about AA. Um, you know, choir practice was still a huge thing. It was encouraged to drink. And for some people that works. For some people it works for a while and then it stops working in a very ugly way. And I am in that second category. It worked until it stopped working. So I needed something. And AA was that something. So I am still an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous today. My home group um, is Delta, uh, which is in Colleen, Texas, because that's uh, the one city over from, that's actually the very first meeting that I went to. They are now my home group. Here's what I love. What I love is today there are AA 12-step peer support groups out there that are not just professionals that have taken some classes on how to treat a first responder. What I love about 2024 is we now have officers, former officers, um, veterans of the military that have been through the same things that I've been through, and now they are facilitating meetings specific to first responders. So we don't have to worry about, you know, in the beginning, you know, am I gonna run into somebody that I hooked up? Are they gonna turn on me? What I discovered was that I had kind of had this idea in my head, right, that if the the people at the meeting knew that I used to be in law enforcement, that they would turn on me. And that terrified me, um, especially in the beginning because I was still active. I was still working in law enforcement when I went to that first meeting. So for those that are kind of new to this whole idea of addiction and recovery and being in law enforcement, there are other issues that come up that other people may not understand. And I'll give you an example. And this this is not a ding against people that work in fast food restaurants. If that's what you do, I think that's wonderful. But If you get hemmed up on a DWI, unless you don't show up for your shift for a while, if you bail out the next day, the odds of you going back to work are pretty good. You might even laugh with your coworkers. Hey, man, fucking cops, man, they busted me for DWI last night. Well, you can't do that when you're a police officer. So, um, you know, there are issues that I think can only be understood if you've had those boots on the ground. And so... Thankfully, um, I now have a pretty good-sized network of other police officers, active, retired, medically retired, um, that are now in recovery. And what's beautiful about that network is we continue to grow. We continue to to talk about and normalize the experience of using alcohol to self-medicate. We normalize that, you know, at the end of the day... It doesn't mean that we're a bad cop. And that's one that I struggled with for a while. My God, I'm a horrible cop. Like I'm arresting people for drunk driving. And to be honest with you, toward the end of my career, I was driving drunk. If it came between me not having any alcohol at my house and having to drive to the store to continue what I had started, then I was going to drive to the store. There wasn't a lot of thought put into it. So... For me now to be able to talk with with other people um, that have been through or are experiencing what I used to experience, man, that's powerful. And there are groups out there now that are specifically run by people just like me. I was a cop for 15 years. One of the meetings I'm gonna talk about, I actually started and uh, and and we're all over the country. You just have to know where to look. So when we get a little bit further along in this, I'm gonna give you some resources. that you can look into if, in fact, that's a part of your journey.
0: Yeah, if you guys haven't picked up on it yet, (coughs) excuse me. We are talking about substance abuse, substance use in the law enforcement world, and we're talking about how to get help for that. Uh, I don't know that a lot of people understand this unless you're in the law enforcement world. The stats around substance use and abuse are much, much higher for us. And there are some questions that I'm going to ask Eric here in a little bit to kind of break down why that is. But some of the stats that we found that are incredibly scary is that you're looking at somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of peace officers on the boots on the ground are having issues with substances right now. And for context, that's about 9 percent, 9 or 10 percent for your general population that had that same issue. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) I was just going to say, there are definitely explanations for that. There are legitimate reasons. Um, one, I touched on a little bit earlier. Um, it took, you know, when I tell tell you the story about sitting at my desk and, and pulling out that um, yellow pages and trying to find a meeting, um, I certainly had not told anybody else um, that I was doing that. I was ashamed. I'm supposed to be the helper, not the helpie. <clears throat> and... I'm now doing things active in addiction that I would have never done sober, and that included driving drunk. So the shame, the embarrassment, the stigma—right? That's the word that we use now—is the stigma associated with that. So I knew, probably a year before, I sat in the office and 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 pulled out those yellow pages that I I was struggling, um, that I my PTSD, which was undiagnosed at the time, was horrible I had discovered that I could drink and I could kind of get sleep I could drink enough to pass out I didn't learn until later that that's not sleep that's just passing out it doesn't really rest your body or your brain but you know when you've got a choice to make between well I can drink this fifth of jack or I can just stay up all night and be worth shit tomorrow when I'm at work well I drank the jack um So the stigma, that's a huge thing. Feelings of shame, feelings of embarrassment, feeling like somehow you have failed. You know, how many times do we hear if you can't hang with the big dogs, get off the porch? And so when you're struggling with addiction and the shit that you've dealt with on the job and you're trying to self-medicate with alcohol, you're just trying to survive at that point um, and and not lose your, your career. And back then, that was a deal breaker. It was a deal breaker for me. Happily that is beginning to change. As a therapist now, um, I get to treat people that are still active duty and their departments are behind them and they want them to get well. Um, and they're, they're not being swept under the rug, out the door. Um, they're not being ostracized. This is becoming more and more, the stigma just continues to decrease. Because at the end of the day, I don't care how many years you've been in or how great a cop you are or how many medals or awards or recognitions or arrests or whatever else you want to count as far as notches, at the end of the day, they cannot train the human out of us, And so alcohol is usually the gateway for law enforcement because it's not illegal. It's socially acceptable. But it is a gateway because it's not, and it's not the only one. I, I'm treating Police officers, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, uh, military veterans—that I know this is hard to believe—but these jobs have a tendency to fuck us up physically. So what do you do? I I screwed up my arm. I you know got my nose broken in a fight last night, uh, putting a bad guy away. So I go to the doctor, and the doctor does what?
0: Here's some uh, Oxycontin. Here's yeah, some pills. Here's
1: some, here's some, here's some hydrocodone. Yeah. You know, here's some, here's some Oxy. Let me get you on some pain medications. <laughs> and if your brain is already injured, and I'm talking about the injury that takes place as a result of trauma, that initial release is huge. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's like taking a first hit of crack. It is you'll do anything to feel different. And these substances, whether it's prescription medications or it's alcohol, it changes how we are feeling, just why we do it in the first place. But if your brain is damaged enough, if you've been damaged enough emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, because of the job, it starts to take more and more and more. And I've heard this story thousands of times at this point, but it's the exact same as my story. When my brain finally went, uh-oh, <laughs> this is not good. This is, this is not working the way that it, it was too late. The addiction was already there. So it's not a matter of, will. I'm one of the most stubborn women you will ever meet in your lifetime. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I'd do it. There, um, there was one thing I could not defeat on my own. One. And it was alcohol. I couldn't do it. I tried. I tried doing alcohol math. I tried doing, I'm only going to drink this much. I'm not going to drink past this time. I won't drink until this time. I won't drink if my kids are around. And gradually over time, those self-imposed boundaries, because my emotional needs were, were so strong at that point, then it was taking more and more to self-medicate that eventually my own boundaries eroded. To the degree that I can very distinctly remember times uh, looking at my clock and realizing that I had about three hours or four to get in the shower, um, get rid of the smell, uh, slather visine into my eyes. Um, I used to grab uh, my, my two favorites when I was struggling with that shit. I would always grab hot and spicy chicharrones and spicy V8 juice. That was my cure. Sure. And, uh, and I would go to work. Um, now... For a good part of that, I was a detective, so I wasn't out on the street, per se. I wasn't patrolling, but I, more than once, way more than once, can remember sitting in my office and actually locking the door and hoping nobody came in, because I knew I was still shit-faced from the early hours,
0: well, succeeding so my arrival. Let's cover part of that first, and I do have a question I want to ask you in a second, but Erica talks about how the getting caught with the DWI or public intox or whatever is detrimental and almost a career buster for police officers. For those of you who don't understand why, or who have never been arrested for OWI or public intox, particularly OWI, you are going to lose your license. That means you can't drive a patrol car around. You can't drive a detective car around. You can't get back and forth to work without some sort of assistance. Your admin is also going to question your decision-making abilities. You are carrying a gun around for your shift, and you are allowed to take people's rights away being detain them or arrest them, search yeah. them. If you do not have the right frame of mind to make good decisions on your off time, Absolutely. how can you do that on your on time? Yeah. That is why it is such a huge issue for a police officer to get arrested for one of those two things. You're going to have your life flipped upside down and most likely you're not going to be a police officer anymore.
1: Yeah. And I'm very lucky when, and I, and I use that word very intentionally. I, I'm very lucky in that you know, I I am that person that went from being in law enforcement to to being arrested. All alcohol related offenses. So once once I was out of the PD, that was it, game on. Yeah. I had nothing left to, to, to hold me in and I, and I went balls to the walls. So um but you know, I I can just remember I remember that I was struggling. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to turn. Now I eventually did go to my chief of police and that took me about six months to work up the bowls to do that one because I knew that once I had that meeting with him, I was going to tell him the truth, which I did. Chief, I'm drinking too much. He goes, well, are you drinking on duty? And I said, no, sir. Well, technically that was true, (laughs) but I was still drunk from, you know, having had a bottle in my hand four or five hours earlier before I, you know, got ready to come in for work. So, um, Here's what I love about this. All of my shit was done before the internet blew up. And the one courtesy I will say my department gave me is, you know, we always had, um, and we were a smaller department, so we always had a, the, the reporters, news reporters could come up and they would get our arrest sheets that we would literally leave outside of dispatch. Mm-hmm. And the one courtesy that they gave me is they pulled my name off. Now, I'm not naive. They pulled that name off to save the department embarrassment. But... I'm grateful that they did it because what happens now, and I've worked with again over and over again, officer gets arrested for DWI, and the next day they are slathered. They're all over the internet. They're all over the newspapers. They're 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 it's everywhere. Um, so in that regard, I was lucky. My shit happened before this ability to communicate with millions of people at one time happened. That's not the case today.
0: Here's the question that I have. And obviously you have your own experience, but now you have the unique opportunity where you get to deal with other people's experiences too. Uh, I'm a little bit naive and stuff because I've always known that I've had an addictive personality. So I've stayed away from alcohol entirely. I don't know what it's like to be drunk. I don't know what it's like to use alcohol. And I really have to rely on, you know, research and and training and things like that. The question that I have for you is, the people, especially, particularly the officers that are becoming addicted to alcohol or other substances, is this something where they're turning to that to help release the pain from trauma or injury? Or is it just something where they started, they've they've drank for a while and then it started to get the best of them? Or is it a combination of both?
1: I, I've seen the, the last category, which is I, I drank long enough that it, it kind of started to catch up to me. But by and large, um, what I've encountered more often than not is... They're self-medicating. Exactly what I was doing. Self med I could not tolerate how I felt. I couldn't sleep at night because of the fucking nightmares. I couldn't fall asleep because of the friggin' anxiety. I couldn't go into a um, public setting. Um, it got to I started isolating more and more. Now I'm now I'm not leaving my home unless I'm at work. And then once work went away, I was just at home until I eventually lost my home because I couldn't stay sober long enough to, to hold down a, a job. And I'm talking menial. Um, one of the jobs that I can remember trying to do, now I can imagine being in law enforcement for 15 years. This is me ego speaking, right? Caught for 15 years, decorated, did great, very proud of my the years that I put in, and now I'm working at a taco factory in Lampasas, Texas, um, making minimum wage. And <laughs> so... Um, that's a mind fuck. I, I, I can promise you that. But I couldn't hold jobs. Right. I couldn't even hold that job. I ended up getting fired because they realized I was showing up to work drunk at a taco factory. So um it was rough. You know, I, I could I hated who I saw in the mirror. I didn't feel like I could really talk to anybody. Um The people that I would have normally reached out to, as soon as the arrest became public knowledge, which, by the way, my first two arrests were by my former department, so they were in the loop, hands off. I actually had one person that I used to work with tell me that she didn't associate with criminals when I tried to meet her in recovery to let her know that I had gotten my shit together, was doing well, and was actually working toward being able to treat um, veterans and first responders as a therapist. Um, she literally standing in front of me said, I don't associate with criminals. And I thank God, um, I had been in recovery for a bit at that time. It still hurt like hell. Um, but she was a product of that career field and she was an older officer. She had about 10 years on me. So, uh, um, but it it hurt because I didn't have anybody to talk to.
0: Hey everybody, it's Turk. I got to be honest, I really wasn't sure where or how to insert an ad read into this episode. It's a pretty serious topic we're covering here. And I guess what I'm saying is there's not going to be any funny quips or stories or anything like that. www.risenwarriorcoffee for the best coffee out there. You guys already know. You've already heard the other ad reads that I've given. They have the best coffee. Head over, order some coffee. Maybe go order my book, drink the coffee while reading the book. Anyway, all right. We're going to get back to the show. It's interesting that you say that, though, when you talk about how your sponsor and then the person that was ahead was the three-time convicted felon because you start to see those connections being made because although we live at different ends of the spectrum, we live in that same world. There you go. And I think that's that's why those connections start happening because we were chasing the criminals. They were running away from us, but it was that same yeah, That same outlet, I guess.
1: Two of the finest people um, you would ever hope to meet. Like I said, we've all made mistakes. You know, we could, we could do a whole show on the arrests that I went through um, because of the alcohol. But you're right. We, we, we play on the same playground. We may play by different rules, but we play on the same playground and we see the same shit. So it wasn't just them seeing me as a human being. But I had to overcome my ego and that cop mindset for me to be able to start seeing them as human beings. And so while part of our segment here is going to be talking about resources, those resources weren't there back when this all started for me. So to know that you you can go to a meeting that's run by and attended, by other police officers, first responders, veterans, that's amazing. Now, I'll be honest with you, my home group is still my home group. Even though there are all of these other wonderful meetings out there for for law enforcement, I very rarely participate in those anymore because I've been able to, to realize that I can work the steps and work a solid program and that not just police officers are there to help me in my own journey. I had to put my ego down long enough to say, you know what, let me tell you what happened. I was just telling the story to, to somebody else earlier today. I was in an AA for 13 and a half years. Over the course of that 13 and a half years, I was in inpatient treatment four times and I got arrested multiple times, all alcohol related offenses. I thought I needed to be in a meeting with other police officers. But the meeting that saved my ass and saved my life is your run-of-the-mill 12-step Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Um, Now, that being said, that may be more difficult for somebody that is just kind of starting to look into this, which is why I'm so glad that these other groups are now out there so that you, you know, I've moved beyond all of that. I I, I sponsor people. I'm a sponsee. Um, You don't have to be a police officer for me to help you with your recovery journey, nor do I need you to be one to help me. And that's really a lot of what 12-step programming is all about, is that fellowship and connectedness. So um, I'm glad that they exist now, but they're not a requirement. I'm going to give you the information, because I think if I would have been able to find a meeting that first time That said, hey, this is this is for police officers or this is for first responders. I can't help but believe that I might have gotten sober maybe a little sooner. Yeah. Um, but that's not the way that it happened for me. It can be that way now, so I want to make sure that everybody's got resources if they do need to reach out. Um, and then you know they can find their own way. You know, if you want to stay with these particular meetings that we're going to talk about in a little bit, great. And (laughs) <laughs> but I also want to make sure that everyone understands that you you don't have to go to meetings that are specific for first responders. What saved my life was a run-of-the-mill, regular old 12-step meeting that every junkie citizen could show up to.
0: Well, and if you think about it, and this was something I wanted to cover, our environment is very enabling, I think, at times. Oh, where, yeah. And, and not necessarily that we're going out of our way to do it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but if you think about it with... Abu- uh, addiction as well as some of the mental health issues that you have I realized this this week when I was talking to a friend a lot of the time you're dealing with your own shit or yep. it has become the norm and so when you see someone else having that problem you don't realize it's a problem because it's your own right. norm And we harp, yeah. we harp on checking on your buddies but if you don't think there's a problem then you're not going to check in on them So, okay. I completely understand what you're saying there
1: well, we're constantly talking about hey you know if you're struggling reach out well, how about we fucking reach in? Yeah. How about that? How about we have the balls and love our brothers and sisters and excuse me, I have a really foul mouth. You've already figured that out, but, you know, there may be people listening going, Jesus Christ, (laughs) there you are. But, you know, (sighs) being able to connect with people that do understand, I think that's huge. And so if what you need is to connect with people that understand that are also police officers or firefighters or whatever, first responders. There are definitely meetings out there for you. Um, and like I said, I, I also want to normalize. Like it doesn't have to be that, but I do want to make sure that we get the resources out in the event that that's what you are comfortable with to start out with.
0: I think it's also super important that we make the mention. We're talking about alcohol right now. Narcotics the same way. We have a real problem with addiction all across the board. Alcohol, narcotics, sex, spending too much money, gambling. Um, I mean, what else is there? If there's anything you can be addicted to, we are creatures of that.
1: And here's the truth. And, and I dare anybody to refute me. There, There might be some exceptions. My first addiction, my first love <laughs> was adrenaline. Yeah. I was addicted to that shit long before the other stuff came into play. And so, you know, we were mentioning, um, you know, when I was still active, I had a sergeant who owned a a bar Mm -hmm. in the same city
0: that ain't gonna happen today folks i'll tell you that
1: <laughs> right well and needless to say there is a policy now um an sop in the city of harker heights um that says uh police officers cannot uh, frequent establishments whose primary point of sale is alcoholic beverages <laughs> might have had something to do with that <laughs> but you know we'd get off at 11 o'clock and by 11 30 we were all lined up on the bar stools and the only time my sergeant was kind really to anyone is when he was drunk so he was kind of a dick otherwise now looking back i realized that he was an alcoholic Yeah. and since i've been in recovery being able to look back i was not the only officer at that department struggling um three or four names immediately come to mind because now i understand what alcoholism looks like so when we were making jokes about the officer that, you know, we had to pick him up and bring him home because he was too shit-faced and it was stumbling well, We thought that was funny back then. It's not funny. Yeah. So when we talked about that statistic of, you know, 20, 25% of active duty police officers struggling with addiction, my department was a perfect example of that. I was not the only one. Um, I am one of the few that survived it because some of the names that came to mind immediately are no longer with us. They lost their battle.
0: And I think we also have to harp on the fact that that 25 or 20 to 30 percent of whatever it is, is probably a low number because those yeah. we don't get those. People, stats
1: are so, People are still not comfortable enough to admit in absolutely. a self-report. And I, I don't care if you get a survey and it says anonymous. We all know that's shit because we've all
0: learned the hard way that they're never (laughs) we've all learned the
1: hard way right exactly but um i think the more that we talk about it and the more we normalize it you know if if john q citizen out there um that has never helped another human being in his entire life becomes addicted to alcohol or, or another substance and they go to these meetings or they go into treatment and they get well why in the hell aren't we supporting that for our own
0: right yeah. And and you talk about <clears throat> how there are departments that are doing a lot better. I know that your area specifically has gotten very good about, Hey, here's the program. You will, we will get you your help until you're, yeah. you know, ready to go back, get back to it. And if you don't reach out for that help, then it's on you. Um, I do want to ask you before we jump into the resources, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to the drug side of things, obviously the numbers are harder to track because drugs are even more taboo than alcohol. Um, Right now we have a huge issue with heroin and it's because of like how you talked about um, people are starting off on prescription pills and then when they can't get those pills anymore, those are more expensive than heroin is. Yeah. How much are you seeing from your side of things of active duty or non-active duty that are having issues with illicit drugs as opposed to alcohol?
1: The numbers are growing. Um, when I first got into this field as a therapist it was mostly alcohol and, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna add a caveat to that right I think it was mostly alcohol because people still didn't want to be honest about the other stuff that they were they were doing um, just because you're a police officer that's what you do that's your career that's your passion that's your job that's your paycheck however you look at it um, at the end of the day if you're hurting bad enough you'll do just about anything I know that I reached a point in my active addiction um, I, I would have put anything in and so I think it's important um, to be honest about my own situation you know I started with alcohol um, once I was out of the police department and I told you none of those self-imposed boundaries were there anymore um, I got introduced to cocaine so now I'm doing I'm doing <laughs> doing something that speeds me up and then I have something that's slowing me down so I'm literally trying to self-manage this roller coaster going on in my head with I would drink and then when I realized that I was getting point getting close to the point of like passing out I, when I talk about drinking I, I would sometimes drink for for days at a time I wouldn't sleep at all not that I could have slept anyway so made it that much easier for me to be uh, an outrageous alcoholic because I would be up for two or three days at a time and so eventually I was introduced to cocaine not that I didn't know that it, what it was from, from my career in law enforcement, but I had certainly never been, I had never done anything other than smoke a few joints in high school. That's the extent I had never tried any other drug. And so when the cocaine finally came on board, I was like, holy shit, this is magic because alcohol would get me so far down it's a depressant even though it tells you it's going to make you happy and feel better it's a, it's a depressant and so then i would use the coke to speed things up and then when i my, my the back of my brain i go oh this is too much well i just need to drink and i bring myself and i lived like that for 13 and a half years which is why i was in and out of treatment it wasn't just alcohol so you know in answer to your question I believe that even when I first started in this field several years ago, I think that we were still under-reporting because we were afraid of repercussion and consequence. I think it's getting a little easier. Um, What I get even in 2024 more often than not is, yeah, I've been struggling with alcohol, but something that I haven't told anybody is I've been using meth or I've been using coke or I've been using, I mean, you name it, I've heard it. And these are, these are. Active-duty police officers, but more importantly, they're humans in pain, and they're doing everything that they can to try to hold everything together. And so for somebody that has never been in that situation, um, you get the, well, you made a bad choice. But when you are in so much pain that you can't, you're not yourself anymore you'll you'll do anything. I would have literally I think I would have injected gasoline into my veins if somebody would have told me it would drag me from the out of the fucking pit that I was in. Right. You know?
0: I think a big part of that would be most people need to realize that alcohol is a drug in itself. And we, we constitute it as a DRE, we would constitute that like you said, as a depressant. It is a drug. It is an issue that we have. When it comes for things to look for in people that might try to catch it before they are addicted or when they are addicted, what, what do you think are some things that, you know, maybe the, the average person or the other, you know, the fellow cop can look for?
1: Yeah. So there, there are definitely things that you can look for. Um, one of course is, to, you know, sometimes we don't know any better. I can remember at the beginning of my drinking career, I used to brag about how much I drank. Oh, I drank so and so under the table last night. Well, that's good if you hear it once or twice, but if you hear it more than that, you might want to pay a little bit closer attention. Isolating is huge. I remember in the beginning of this podcast, I said that I would go into my office and I would lock the door. Um, I stopped going out socially, I wasn't going to bars, I wasn't going, I wasn't even going to the grocery store, it got bad enough that I, I didn't even want to leave my house. So isolating behaviors. Um, huge changes in personality. If you know somebody is normally quiet and reserved, and they are now consistently the life of the party or vice versa. They used to be the life of the party, but now they want to sit off in a corner. So watch for basic personality changes. Um, If you smell alcohol on on the breath of one of the people that you're working with, then pull them aside. Love them enough to confront them. Hey, you drinking last night? No, No, I smell it, man. I see, let them know. Um, So, I mean, you're looking for things that are just out of character for them. So drastic changes in personality, um, isolating is is a huge one. Anger. Um, If you work with somebody and you know that they've generally been level-headed and now you find they're losing their shit with the other officers, they're losing their shit with their suspects... Pay attention to that. Again, you're looking for changes in how that person operates on a daily basis. Um, And if you ask somebody how they're doing and they say, I'm fine or I'm good, let me give you some insight. When I used to say, because I did have some people ask, you know, when I hadn't slept in a few days, you know, guys would be like, you know, hey, my last name used to be Jordan. Hey, Jordan, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. Let me tell you what I'm fine and I'm good at. Fuck off. None of your business, and I'm not ready to deal with this shit yet. That's what I'm fine and I'm good with. So if that's what you get from someone when you say, hey, man, I'm worried about you, don't let it go. And if you don't feel like you have a strong enough relationship with that person to get them the help that they need, your next step is going to be to let somebody in that chain of command know. Because I would much rather have one of my brothers or sisters be told they have to get treatment, that they have to get clean and sober to maintain their job. I would rather do that and be uncomfortable in that situation mm-hmm. than listening to bagpipes.
0: And what, what we have to do and what you have to know at home, is, so like she said, having that confrontation, we sign up to protect one another. And that doesn't just mean clearing a building. It doesn't just mean when arresting a suspect. Yeah. We're supposed to be protecting each other at all times. Yeah. If you need to go to admin, the warning that I would give is pick and choose the admin. Just because Correct. it's the sergeant on the shift or the lieutenant on the shift doesn't mean you have to go to them. Make sure that it's someone that you trust and that you know will handle it properly as opposed to either washing it under the ta- or sorry, souping it under the table or using it as a gossip piece. It needs Absolutely. to be someone that is going to get the job done and get it taken care
1: of. Absolutely. And so please know, you know, when I suggest, and, and I got to admit, man, that's, it's still kind of, Kind of catches in my throat when I say that, right, to, to let somebody in the chain of command know. Because some of, some of those old ideas are still very well ingrained in me. But here's, here's the truth. And I'm going to give it to you from the perspective of being the officer that was struggling. I think things would have been a little bit different for me had one person in my department gone to me and said, Erica, I can see that you're struggling. I'm worried about you. What are you, what is going on with you? Talk to me. Now, the hope, of course, in those conversations is the person opens up and they say, you know what, you're right, I need help. And I think that's getting easier to do now versus, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. But don't just take their answer for stock either. If they tell you that they're good or they're okay, man, probe a little long, you you do fucking detective work when you're out there on the streets and you're talking to people. You use those same skills with your battle buddies to make sure they're okay. And if you've talked to that individual and you've said, look, I know you're struggling. I'm, I'm concerned about you drinking. It's okay to confront and be honest. I'm concerned about your drinking, man. The last couple of times I've seen you, you look you look pretty rough, you know. And I could have sworn I smelled alcohol in your breath the other day, you know. I want to let you know that I'm here for you to talk to. And it's also okay to say, you know what? I listened to this podcast the other night and there was this crazy female that, that used to be a cop that's talking about alcohol and cocaine and put them in touch with resources, give them the information that I'm going to be providing to you here in just a little bit. Um, but you're absolutely right. You do want to be careful with who you take that information to, because you, you want to make sure that this is not retribution, right? But protection,
0: right? I, and that just kind of and popped yeah. into my head because I saw that, the. Obviously, the thing that I wrote back there, it reminded me of so many, there were people that if we would have went to with any issues, whether it be substance abuse, um, money spending, cheating on their wives or whatever, it would not have been a get them help. It would have been set fire to the whole, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you, uh, you mentioned um, your sober date is 313 of 13 or 310 of 13. Yeah. What's pretty cool about that is my boy's birthday down here, the one that I get got to drive around with for so many years, was three of thirteen, and I think they give them all the first. So we don't know when it was of that month, but that that connection was pretty cool. But that's
1: I, outstanding. March, yeah, March the tenth of two thousand and thirteen. I finally put my ego down because I didn't have any other choice, and I finally said I need help, and so that started this journey. I could have never imagined how good life in recovery was going to be. Look, I want to put this out here. Before I put out the, the information on these resources, this is something that I work with when I'm working with a client. I say it all the time. If recovery sucked, nobody would want to do it. I was given my life back in recovery. I can look at myself and I like what I see staring back in the mirror now. And so, you know, for, for me to... To have that courage to finally say, you know what, I need help. That's not weakness, brothers and sisters. Hear me clearly when I say this. That takes an immense amount of courage to finally say, you know what, I, I need some help. I, I, I don't have a handle on this. And also to understand that you're not the only one. We're all over the place. We all we're, Some of us are still active duty. Some of us are medically retired. Some of us just said, fuck it, and they got out. But at the end of the day, there is an entire nationwide community out there of first responders, police officers that are in recovery that are now working together to help other people find their way into recovery. Right. And the hope is that they don't lose their jobs or their careers the way that we did.
0: And and again, when you say that you're not the only one out there, I want to push the fact that this is addiction of all types. If we yeah. included all that other stuff, I would be willing to bet the numbers were higher to 75 to 80 percent of law yeah. enforcement deal with it.
1: As much as I work with substance addiction, I work just as much with uh, pornography, sex addiction, shopping, um, gambling is a huge one. Um, and then, of course, um, if if it's really bad, we also become addicted to risk taking, yeah. which is something else we need to be aware of, because that also can be a way to self-medicate if my brain is going, holy shit, and... You know, I'm on top of a mountain or something or I'm I'm skydiving, then I don't have to focus on what's actually going on in here. And so we become addicted to the adrenaline rushes. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to deal with the emotional turmoil that's going on inside of us.
0: Anything for that dopamine hit.
1: Anything for that
0: dopamine hit.
1: Now, in recovery, I'm not saying that you can't still have that. I mean, sure. I climbed a fucking mountain when I was 50 years old in Africa. That was quite a dopamine hit. But um, it, was, it was by design and... Um, I love that I was able to have that experience. So just because we get into recovery doesn't mean that we become old or boring or (laughs) I still like to do shit that gets my blood running.
0: So you have a date that you'll remember forever. And that's what I want to segue into right now is if the the guys and the girls at home right now listening to this are ready to have their own date, what can we get them? What resources can we give them right now?
1: Here's what I'm going to give you. Um, I'm going to give you the first one is actually a meeting that I started. Um, it's operated out of Windmill Wellness Ranch in Bernie, Texas, but it is online, which means you can be in Florida, you can be in California, you can be <laughs> yeah. you can be in Canada if you want. Um, so it's called Guardians Anonymous. And if you'll hold on just a minute, I'm going to give you some specifics because I reached out to a friend of mine that I have... Uh, Working on that stuff now, and I asked him to send it to me because I couldn't find it earlier. Uh, let's see here. No, 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 no. There we go. All right. So um, they're now calling it I got your six. So I G Y six. It is ah, your meeting ID sucks, Tony. <laughs> Hold on a second. I'm gonna pull it directly off of the computer because I think that's probably gonna be our best bet. And then I'm going to give you information on Warriors Anonymous, which is another one. But let me give you the stuff on this one first. So I'm going to dig through my crap right now. Bear with me. There we go. All right. Meeting ID. Um, This meeting is uh, Wednesdays at 545 um, Central Standard Time. It is run by a former DPS officer, Texas Ranger, who is now in recovery. Um, The meeting ID number is 311 Six five three. Two seven zero two. The passcode is P is in Paul, F is in Frank, uppercase, lowercase G is in George, four zero lowercase P is in Paul. So, uppercase P is in Paul, F is in Frank, lowercase G is in George, four zero P is in Paul, and that is hosted by a gentleman. His name is Tony Leal. Uh, So that is one. Um, They do those every Wednesday, like I said, at 545 in the afternoon. The next one that I'm going to give you is Warriors Anonymous. Now, Warriors Anonymous um, is uh, an offshoot from uh, Warriors Heart, which is a treatment facility in the Texas Hill Country that specializes in the treatment of veterans and first responders on an inpatient basis. Um, So you can literally go to the Warriors Heart website, Or you can look up Warriors Anonymous. Um, There's no apostrophe in that, so just W-A-R-R-I-O-R-S, Anonymous. Um, They have meetings um, that you can do online. They they also have meetings that you can do in person. So um, just to kind of give you some information, you can actually go to the website, www.warriorsheart.com forward slash warriors anonymous, forward slash and it'll give you all of the meeting times they literally have meetings Mondays Tuesdays Wednesdays Thursdays um, and Saturdays they have inpatient outpatient um, I'm sorry uh, in person and also um, online Um, there are in-person Warriors Anonymous meetings in Corpus Christi Texas Bandera Texas San Antonio um, Jacksonville North Carolina Loudoun County in Virginia, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Um, Houston, I think I mentioned Corpus Christi already, and then they also have one in Georgia. So you can actually attend the Warriors Anonymous meetings uh, in person, but you can also attend them online. So that's the way that you're gonna get in touch with Warriors Anonymous. There's another one called Bottles and Badges. Um, They do about 15 meetings a week, but they are primarily out of New Jersey right now, and they are in person. But if you're in New Jersey, if you will Google bottles and badges, it will bring you right over to them. Um, And that's actually, uh, those meetings are um, at least monitored or facilitated by uh, an active-duty police officer who is also a Marine. Um, And then out of Ohio... There is a. Let's see if I can find this real quick. Uh, Tuesday, first responder clinicians. It's a wellness meeting that they do. Uh, let me let me get on my phone because I think he sent me the information through text messages. So I want to make sure that I get this out during the podcast. So hold on just one second. Yep, that ain't it. Mm. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, trying to find, he sent me a bunch of crap and I can't find it now. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Story of my life. Uh, there we go. All right. I got it. Okay. So you've got, these are the things that you can Google badges and bottles. Warriors anonymous, which I, I gave you information on both of those. Um, and then we have, um, a group called. First responders it's literally just called first responders, so I'm gonna give you the meeting ID for that. The meeting ID it's an online meeting is eight four seven three eight zero five six one seven three and the passcode is eight zero eight zero. There's another one called Responder Talk. Um, so I don't know that this is 12-step based, but it's uh, peer support. Um, and that is every Sunday um, at 1900. The meeting ID for that is 628-512-5016. And the passcode is R is in Robert, F as in Frank, R is in Robert, 199 to that's an exclamation point okay (laughs) so there you go um those are some resources that you can reach out you can look these things up online um i got your six warriors anonymous guardians anonymous um bottles and badges and um one last thing these are these are specific to like 12-step meeting formats or at least peer-to-peer support um if you realize that you need more than that, and I did eventually realize that, I realized that going to these meetings was not enough because I still had access to alcohol and I was too addicted to just say, no, I'm not going to drink. Um, but make sure you, you, you do your due diligence. I mean, we literally price compare for underwear. Please, please look up reviews and things if you're looking at maybe going inpatient uh, there are a lot of things that are popping up now that say that they are veteran or first responder sure. tracks. Um, sometimes that just means that they've taken some classes on what it's like to treat us. Yeah. And there are verified, phenomenal organizations out there that actually treat, um, but the treatment team were once police officers or or some other type of first responder. So I actually work out of Mission Ready Counseling, um, which you can also look up online. It's missionreadycounseling.com. We do outpatient therapy. Um, Right now, I'm only licensed to provide therapy in the state of Texas, but we have other counselors there um, that have veteran and first responder backgrounds um, that also are licensed um, in different states. So, we do telehealth, we do in person. Warrior's Heart is a phenomenal in person uh, treatment facility, um, as is Warrior uh, uh, Windmill Wellness and Recovery. Uh, Actually, it's called Windmill. Uh, Hold on a second. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting my business name and the old business name confused. (laughs) Uh, look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a drunken recovery. What do you want? Um, the other place that you can go is windmillwellnessranch.com. Um, I know that they have a program there for veterans and first responders because I'm the one that developed it before I left
0: and went into private practice. And I tell you what, I'm going to have you at some point email me all of those references. Um, we are, we're adding some things to the website. We're not changing anything, but we're just adding stuff to the website. I'll make sure that that all gets under our resources tab at uh, www.spinningourgears.com. Uh, I want to add one more peer support group that I discovered. Um, the <laughs> the ignorant part of me or the silly part of me thought it was a different group, but I'm glad that I found it. Um, if anyone knows the the group uh, Street Cop Training, they got a whole company, uh, but on their Facebook page, they have subgroups in there that you can, I think they're called chats on Facebook, that you can yeah. join to be part of, and they've got things like training classes and specific case law. And I happen to yeah. found, find one that was called Sober Cops. And that is just a, nice. it's a peer support, I guess, messaging group where there's a lot of success yeah. stories told on there, but there's also resources thrown around. So, um, anyone who's familiar with that company or that Facebook page, head over there and, and join that group if you need to. So
1: Absolutely. And the last thing that I want to put out there is if you think you may be struggling with alcohol, um, what i'm going to encourage you to do um, is um, look up um, meetings in your area Um, so you can literally go to alcoholicsanonymous.com and you can plug in the state and the city that you live in or you can decide do i want to be 50 miles away from where i live 100 miles 10 miles but they have um, um, things in there that you can you can narrow your search but that's also a great resource is just go to alcoholicsanonymous.com and uh, you can literally uh, find all of the meetings um, that are being held in your area. Um, And then of course you now have some resources if you, if you feel more comfortable with it being a first responder runner
0: facilitated group. Excellent. Excellent. Well, everyone at home, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I think it was a a really good one, covered some very important topics. I told you guys at the beginning of the year that we were going to go big this year, and I think that we've been doing well so far with that, and we're going to continue to do so. If you haven't figured out, our release schedule that we're aiming for is the 10th and the 25th of each month. We're going to try to get you guys two episodes every month. So we got a lot of cool stuff coming at you. Uh, We will let you know if that schedule is going to change at all, but I think this was a great episode, Erica, where we we covered a hard topic, and we hopefully got some information people that need it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me give, I'm going to put out my email address. If if somebody is listening to this um, and, and they're struggling and they just want somebody to talk to that maybe understands some of what they're going through, you can reach out to me through, it's all one word. It's Mission Ready Counseling. It's actually Erica at, so E-R-I-K-A at com.
0: Right on. Any other final words you want to throw out there?
1: I can't really think of anything off the top of my head right. um just you know if you're struggling reach out if you suspect that somebody that you know is struggling reach in don't wait
0: excellent i love it i'm not going to say anything else besides stay safe and we'll get through this together
1: have a good evening